during this summertime, we've just been doing a, a few uh, pastoral messages, I guess some would call them, and just some uh, encouragement, discipleship, uh, if you will. And uh, I want to go into Luke chapter 24, and we'll, start, we'll read uh, a few verses here, and starting in verse 13. Luke 24 and verse 13, I think they have that for you as well on the screen. Now behold, two of them were traveling, talking about the disciples the same day in the village, uh, to the village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together uh, of all the things that had happened. And so it was while they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew uh, and near and went with them and their eyes were restrained so they did not know that it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk uh, and are sad? And then uh, one of those answered and said unto him, are you a stranger? In Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happen uh, there in these days and he said to them what things and so they said to him the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the, the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to uh, be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all of this today is the third day since the, these things happened. Yes, a certain woman of our company whom arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came in saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and a certain of these were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but he but him they did not see then he said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and being beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scripture that things concerning himself. And verse 28, and then they drew near to the village and where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. And now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another did not our hearts burn within us while we walked with us in the to the road and while he opened the scriptures to us and so they rose up the very hour returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven of those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how they was known to them 
in the breaking of the bread. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes just on the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. A lot, lot of things are going on in our world today. There's a lot of things going on in the church today. And uh, I'm not here to preach against what other people are doing or things that are going on. What I'll simply say is, is we don't need anything but a revelation of Jesus. A revelation of Jesus will change everything. And what we need today, if it doesn't matter if we're dealing with a physical, if we're dealing with a spiritual, emotional, or mental, or a financial, our solution can be found in a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus himself said that the church would be built on the revelation of the Son of God. And when Jesus is revealed, the poor begin to prosper. The weak begin find strength and the sick find healing. Good things happen when there is a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. And in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus declared, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus was anointed to preach good news to us. Amen. And wherever you hear Jesus preach, good news will be proclaimed over your life. You, whenever you hear the gospel preached, it is something that, that will bless you. It will bless your household. It will bless everything that is connected to your life. And I know today that, that, that Jesus was a carrier of good news. And so in our text here this morning, we find after Jesus had risen from the dead, he's ministering to uh, these two disciples who were walking back from Jerusalem to a village that is called Emmaus. The Bible says that these two men were discouraged about the events that had transpired. They were discouraged. It was apparent on their face. It was in their action that they was, they was down. They were disappointed. And the Bible says that the disciples' eyes were restrained until they did not even recognize or know it was Jesus. I believe that we still deal with that today. At times in our own life, we fail to recognize it is Jesus. In this story, you get the idea that these two men, or at least I do, that they did not really believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. If they had believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, they would not be so discouraged. They would not have been so overwhelmed. They even made a comment that they were hoping that Jesus would be the redeemer of Israel, right? <coughs> and they were astonished when certain women that uh, went and went to the tomb, and when they went to the tomb, they said that Jesus was gone and, and the tomb, he had risen. He was gone from that place. And most of the followers of Jesus, those that believed that Jesus, 
that his rule would come from the place of Roman government. The, so when Jesus was crucified on the cross, they felt that their chance for redemption was now over. That there was no way that, that this could ever happen because they had figured out in their mind that it would have to come through Roman government. And now the, the, the murder of Jesus, uh, they, they thought it is over. There's no way that this is possibly could happen. But how many know that God always causes us to be at all? He always causes us when we think that we figured it out with our little peanut brain and we've come to the end of ourselves and there's no way that it can ever happen that somehow God makes it out of nothingness. He will turn it around for our good. And that's where in Luke 24, and 20, verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all of the prophets have spoken. I believe this is two things. First of all, it is a reality of what Jesus was speaking to the disciples, but I believe it is prophetic to us today that it is an indictment against the body of Christ and his church. First of all is that we are foolish. That is to say that we suffer from ignorance and a lack of knowledge. We suffer from a lack of a revelation and our level of revelation is still uh, confined or limited to what we have known about him, maybe as Savior or Holy Spirit uh, baptizer or maybe as the healer, but we don't know very much more than we do at elementary level because we have not spent that time. We are foolish in the things of the word because we don't stay in the word we don't have a relationship with God as we should and so God gives revelation to those who seek after him if you don't seek you cannot find right if you don't knock the door is never open if you don't have a hunger or a passion for more of God, the revelation will never come because God's not going to give revelation of himself to people that are not hungry for it. Amen. And the second is this, that even when we do have a knowledge of the word of God, we are slow of heart to believe it. <laughs> We're slow of heart to believe it. We, we, I, I've, preached on this several months ago about the new covenant and the old covenant and and there are some people you know it, it was hard for the disciples to grasp the revelation of who Jesus was as the new covenant but now we're thousands of years removed from that now and there's some people still preaching the law they're still preaching a message of guilt and condemnation not knowing that Jesus has now come and brought a better way. Hallelujah. He has brought a new hope. And so, and, and yet people don't, we're so slow to believe the word. We're so slow to grab hold of it and say, yes, this 100%, I totally believe this is the word of God. Amen. And so we look and we see that he says this. He said, you're so slow of heart to believe. It was true for them, it's still true for us today. 
in verse 27, and be, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them all of the scripture and the things concerning himself. <laughs> this, this is so powerful right here because on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up and he begins to expound upon the scriptures. He starts telling them about Moses, perhaps, right? He refers to the first five books of the Bible. He, he refers to, to, to that and he begins to move on to the rest of maybe even into what he is doing in the New Testament, what we know now as the New Testament. He shared things about himself all through the Old Testament. He expounded on the, all the things concerning himself in every single book. I can see him laying it out and he begins to show them where he's at in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he begins to show himself through Ruth and he shows himself through all of these different books, if you will. And he shows him and he, he, he reveals who he is in every page of the scripture this tells us that every page of the bible is important because every page of the bible is about jesus jesus is in the old testament concealed and in the new testament revealed Amen. I'm going to say that again. Jesus in the Old Testament is concealed. He's in shadow and types and revelation. But in the New Testament, he is revealed as the Son of God. There's no insignificant details in the Bible. Everything has a reason and a purpose. Everything is there to point us to Jesus. Amen. He is the central figure of everything that we do, and he is the central figure of everything that God does in the universe. Can you imagine Jesus telling them how he was the promised seed of the Garden of Eden? <laughs> and that he was the one who was going to come and crush the head of the serpent? Amen. And then he moves on maybe and he, he starts telling them about the five lytical, lytical uh, offerings and how it depicts his, his perfect, complete work on the cross of Calvary. And then he begins maybe to share and begins to talk to them about the priests and, and the garments that the priests wore and how that the Old Testament was a picture of himself and it was a perfect representation before God that he stood. <laughs> Amen. Can you imagine how awesome it must have been to hear Jesus talk about himself, pointing out in scripture, saying this is a shadow, this is a type, but this is me. Amen. We get excited to hear anointed person preach or to teach the word. But can you imagine Jesus <laughs> teaching about himself to his disciples? We know from the book of Hebrews that everything in the Old Testament is a copy. It is a type. It is a shadow of things that Jesus is actually going to accomplish in the New Testament. Everything is a picture of the reality of Jesus. And so Jesus shows us something special in this text. He shows us how to study the Bible. 
We don't just study the Bible to, to, so that we can, so we can learn the Bible, so that we can uh, know the scriptures. We, we study the scriptures so that we can know the God of the scripture. So that we can see Jesus. And so when we study the scripture, when we read the Bible, we should be looking for Jesus. Look for Jesus in the Old Testament and you'll see him as Abraham's lamb. Look in the Old Testament and you'll see him as the sacrifice once and for all. You will see him as the Joshua. Huh? Glory to God. I, I can't help it. I get excited because I love the shadows and types. He hides himself in the scripture, but he's all through the scripture. And he's the Joshua that comes to redeem us out of bondage and bring us into a land flowing with milk and honey where that we have everything that we need. Glory to God. He shows himself and when Jesus begin to when we begin to see Jesus in the Bible the the word of God will come alive to us when you understand the truth of understanding the Bible and you get, you get excited about it, that, that it's about Jesus, no matter where you're reading in the book, it's about Jesus, you start getting excited about it and you want to read more. Right? I'm not reading to try to find an answer. I'm not reading to try to, to, to get my intellect more, more profound. I, I, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for him because if I can find him in this story, I can, I can have a truth that will be applied to my life and I can apply him to my life in a greater way. And so we study the Bible and we begin to uh, uncover and discover hidden manna that empowers your life. That's the reason why the word of God is, is powerful. I'm, I've got it underlined in my Bible or in it underlined and I've got it marked that, that it, what was interesting to me in verse 30 is it said that his eyes were, their eyes were blinded, right? They couldn't see that it was him. But in verse 30, it said he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. Amen. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. What is the word? What is the word? It's the bread of heaven. Right? It's the bread of heaven. And whenever we break open the canon of his book and we begin to read it, our eyes will become open. We'll see something we haven't seen before. Come on. We'll see him in a revelation we have never seen him before. When we open the book and we break the bread of life, it becomes something real to us that we see something about Jesus we have never seen before. And so it, it, whenever a person has fun in the word of God, when you begin to study the word of God with the thought in mind, I'm looking for Jesus. It's no fun looking at scripture and not getting anything out of it. But when you start looking for Jesus and you see him all through the Bible, regardless of what book you're in, the scripture will come alive to you and you'll see him. Amen. When we feel as though that we lack knowledge in the word and that we're struggling to believe God, God wants us to see more of him in the scripture. Amen. 
We just need to look for Jesus. After Jesus told them all these things concerning himself from the word of God, the Bible says that their hearts burned within them. Amen. Their hearts burn within them. Whenever you begin to study the Word of God, and whenever the Word of God comes alive in you, there'll be, a, there'll be an excitement in your spirit. It'll come alive on the inside of you, and you will enjoy the presence of God. When Jesus unveiled the Word of God, their hearts burned within them. In fact, the root word... For Emmaus in the Hebrew means warm baths or warm springs. And so as Jesus broke down the scripture, their hearts were warmed. It was like taking a warm bath. It was like getting in a warm spring. They were warmed. They were comforted. Have you ever been going through something and right in the middle of your struggle, God revealed something to you that caused your heart to get joy? Caused your heart to leap? When maybe you was down, maybe you was even depressed, maybe you was overwhelmed, and then he revealed something in his word, and he came alive to you and gave you a hope. It gave you a joy, it gave you a, 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 a passion to say, I, I, I know now that God's going to do something even though the circumstance hadn't changed, even though the struggle was still as real as it had ever been, but you got a word from God and you knew that that word from God was going to change everything. Amen. This is what happened to these two men. They were really down. They were in the dumps. They was discouraged. They was, they was overwhelmed. But time with Jesus teaching the word of God caused their hearts to come alive again. Caused it to begin to burn on the inside. And this is why it's so important to hear the word of God. This is why it's important to set under sound teaching and sound word and allow it to penetrate our hearts. Because when this happens, our hearts will begin to be filled with passion. It'll be filled with joy. Amen. I believe that a person that has been struggling with their walk with God and their relationship with God, if you can just get in the Word and begin to let the Word begin to speak into your life again, it will bring strength to you. It will strengthen you. The Bible says that Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem. This means that the disciples studied with Jesus for several hours. Can you imagine how they, they were walking? They weren't running. So you imagine how long it takes to walk seven miles. And all of this time, Jesus is sharing and pointing out to, to these men who he is in the scriptures. And when the word of God begins to open up in your spirit, you can begin to spend time with God. When you begin to get a revelation of who Jesus is, you're not in a hurry to shut the book. You're not in a hurry. It, it seems like that, there, that, that an hour can, can be like minutes because you're getting a fresh revelation. You're getting a fresh download of what God is trying to say to you. And it's individual and it's personal most of the time, right? 
And so the word of God begins to open up and you begin to spend more time in his presence. And the Bible also says that when the disciples realized that it was Jesus talking to them, after they had arrived at Emmaus, they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They had just walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and now they, they're, they're so stirred. Have you ever been in the presence of his word? Have you ever got revelation? Have you ever been in the service or you yourself have read the word or been in prayer and you got a revelation of who Jesus was and you just couldn't sit still? You had to do something. You had to move. You had to get going, right? For many years, Renee and I preached, uh, you know, itinerary preaching. We'd go from one church to the next every Sunday, from, from Sunday to Friday somewhere, sometimes for 28, 30 weeks at a time, I would be, we would be at church from Sunday morning to Friday night. And on Friday night, I would always load up our 35-foot trailer, have it ready to go, and when we was done preaching, I'd drive to the next assignment. Some people said, you're crazy. No, I couldn't go to sleep, so I'd just, well, go somewhere. Because when you're under the anointing, when you're in the Word of God, it'll stir something in you. It'll, it'll cause even a physical body to be, to be empowered. Renee can tell you, during those 30 weeks, sometimes my voice, I could not talk a bit during the day. And they'd say, well, you, how are you going to preach? I would go to the pulpit, I'd get the scripture, and as I would read the scripture, my voice would get stronger and stronger until I could preach and leave the pulpit and couldn't say a word. That's what the anointing will do. That's, I said, that's what the anointing will do. The pure power of God, the presence of God, the word of God, it'll quicken your mortal body. It'll cause strength to come to you. And so that's what happened to these men. I know it is. I know it is. I, they had spent time with Jesus. They got in the word and they got so into them and they got so excited. And they, I believe that they didn't pay attention to the seven miles going because Jesus was teaching them. But I don't believe that on their way back, Brother Wayne, they worried a bit about it because they were still excited about the word that was released into their heart. And they got there in a speed time because they knew that uh, they had received a download from Jesus himself. The word of God energizes you. I said the word of God energizes you. That's the reason why the enemy wants to keep you from the word. That's the reason why the enemy wants to fight you over the word. In Psalms 119 and verse 25, David said, Quicken me according to your word. This is a prayer for God, of God, to God for him to quicken us and quicken our life through his word. God's word is spirit and it is life. Amen. It is spirit and it is life. It gives you, 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 you come into his presence in his spirit, but it also gives life to your flesh. Amen. One of the best things we can ever do to stay, you know, there's folks do a whole lot of things to try to look young and stay young. Right? 
They do all kinds of things, and I'm not against any of it. God bless you. All right? Prop it up, pull it back, tuck it in, whatever. Glue it on, whatever. But I believe one of the best ways to stay looking young is to keep a fresh revelation of Jesus. Amen. Because it is spirit and it is life. Glory to God. Well, I could preach all the rest of the two hours right there. When Jesus is unveiled and you hear him preach to you, it will cause your body to be healed because life is in the word. It's being imparted to you. Amen. Now, I believe, you know, I believe in laying on of hands. I believe that they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I believe that, that you can pray for people to be delivered and to be set free and to, to, for the oppression to leave them. But let me tell you something else that I believe. I believe that while you are under the sound of my voice, preaching this word, that sickness can leave your body. That oppression and that heaviness lift off of you. Amen. Why? Because you're receiving with meekness the engrafted word of God. And that word has life in it. That word has power in it. Glory to God. And so that's, that's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to impart life unto us. In Acts chapter 14, there is a man who is lame from his birth. And all he did was hear Paul preach about Jesus. And when he heard Paul preach about Jesus, strength came into his legs. And, he, and when Jeepin Paul looked at him and told him to get up, he began to leap and to run. There's no indication that Paul said, bring him over here and let me lay my hands on him. No, he heard the word. Right? And when he did, life came into his legs that was paralyzed. Glory to God. This is part of my job as pastor. When I stand before you to preach and to teach, it is to unveil Jesus, to qualify you by the blood of Jesus, that when you hear the word, it is the word of God to you. It is the word of God to me. And whenever you embrace it, because you are qualified, because you are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, he does not come to unveil your faults or your weaknesses. He comes to give you life. Amen? No man is ever judged until he dies. Think about it. It is true. But we want to condemn people. We want to put people down. But Jesus don't come to point out your faults and your failures and your weakness. But he has come to give you life, to give it more abundantly. He has come to reveal himself to us. And every which way you turn yourself, you're going to find fault. Every which way you turn yourself, you're going to look and you're going to see the imperfections of humanity. And the devil wants to keep you uh, self-conscious. But God wants to make you God-conscious. He wants you to be looking for Jesus more than you're looking for yourself. 
Because you see, when you turn away from the accusations of yourself and you see Jesus, then God is not judging you today based on you. He has placed you in Christ and he sees you in his excellence. He sees you in his grace. He sees you through the eyes of mercy. Come on, somebody. He sees you through the beauty and the perfection of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he looks at you and he calls you blessed. Amen. Unfortunately, instead of looking at Jesus, many Christians are falling into the trap of thinking that God is looking at them based upon what they have done wrong. Amen? When you do this, you're bringing yourself back under the law. The law makes you more aware of yourself than it makes you aware of God. The law is the ministry of death and condemnation. The ministry of Jesus is the ministry of grace and the ministry of life. Hallelujah. And he wants you to know that you are loved. The law is about looking at yourself. But the new covenant of grace is about you seeing Jesus. Hallelujah. And I want to see him. I said I want to see him. I want to see him in my life. I want to see him in my actions. I want to see him in all the attributes of my life. I want him to open up the book and to reveal himself to me. That whenever I am finished talking with him and he's finished talking with me, that my life looks more like him than it does Adam. Amen. We should not be studying and open the scripture just to accumulate a Bible knowledge. But we should open it to see Jesus. Some people think, you know, I'm not against it. I, I st try to study some in the Hebrew and the Greek. But some people think that if they just knew Hebrew and Greek that they could understand the Bible better. But it didn't help the Pharisees one bit. They knew Hebrew. Huh? But it didn't help them. What we need is the Holy Spirit to unveil to us revelation of the hidden gems of who Jesus is and the finished work of Calvary. Amen. Smith Wigglesworth said, some people read their Bible in Hebrew, some read it in Greek. But he said, I like to read it in the Holy Ghost. Amen. When people start looking away from Jesus, they stop attending church. They start looking at themselves and they start looking at their own resources and they start looking at things that are happening to them instead of looking at Jesus. Amen. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, right? The old songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Can somebody say amen? amen. Let's look at some of these typologies that I refer to in the Old Testament that Jesus unveils himself by typology in the scripture. In John chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 it says there, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
So Jesus drew this comparison that is what we call it the typology. The Old Testament is filled with these typologies. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, it says, uh, It is the glory of God that conceals a matter, but the glory of kings that searches a matter out. Right? And so God has hidden these mysteries of his beloved son and the finished work of Calvary throughout the Bible. And it is our glory to search them out. Right? In Numbers chapter 21 verse 4 and 5 I didn't do John yet did I did I did I thank you let's go on to numbers chapter 21 verse 4 and 5 you got that for me then they journeyed from Mount Orb by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, and why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls is loath this worth, worthless bread. Right? And then let's go ahead and read Psalms and then we'll talk about this. Psalm 78, verse 24 and 25. It says, It had rained down manna on them to eat and given them the bread of heaven. Verse 25. And men ate angel food. He sent them food to the full. Right? The church today needs to be careful not to make the same mistake that the children of Israel made. And that is calling manna the bread of God worthless bread. Amen? It's what they said, it's worthless to us. And God said, this is angel food. <laughs> this is bread from heaven. Right? And we, we sometimes, again, I'm just doing some discipleship, some pastoral teaching, but we sometimes think that the Word of God is, don't have value. We don't value the Word. That's the way I look at it anyways. We don't, we don't put value on the Word of God, whether it be preached, whether it be taught, whether it be reading the Word. We don't value the Word of God, but this is the bread of heaven. Amen. This is our source. This is what keeps us alive. Amen. And we, we, I don't think we're so bad about it anymore, but whenever I was growing up, people always wanted to hear a prophet and they wanted to hear somebody say, thus saith the Lord, but never would crack the Bible open. Amen. And this is a sure word. Amen. Prophets only prophesy according to their ability. But this is a sure word that has come to us. 
And so we take this word and we don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly. We don't say, oh, that, I just don't understand that. And I, I just don't get nothing out of it. And I, it, just, it just don't do nothing for me. But it, it's the word of heaven. It's the life to us. You may not understand it all, but just keep on reading it. Because there will come a time when that word will come alive in your spirit. There'll come a time when the Holy Spirit will reach back to what you were faithful and disciplined in reading the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit will take and draw that up because you need it now. And you didn't even know you had it in you. Right? But if you don't ever put it in you, the Holy Spirit don't have nothing to draw back. Man. John chapter 6 and verse 48 through 50. He said, I am the bread of life. Worthless bread. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your father ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. Right? This is the bread which come down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Glory to God. Amen. We'll never die. This flesh will one day fall to the ground and ashes to ashes and dust to dust. And somebody will return it back to the ground from where it come. But this body will never die. Amen. We will have a glorified body. We will live forever. And even if we don't accept Christ as our Savior, we'll still live forever. We'll just live separated from his presence. Right? We need to be focused on Jesus. We need to, to teach Jesus. We need to preach Jesus. We need to pray Jesus. We need, we need to focus on him. It's not, it doesn't mean that we don't need the word of God to be taught on finances or marriage or relationship or, or whatever. But, but what it does mean is we cannot afford to push Jesus to the background because Jesus is the center of it all. He's the focus of it all, right? He's the bread from heaven. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks it's foolishness, right? How does that sound in the world today? This, this gospel of the kingdom, it's outdated. It don't work anymore. Some say it's a slaughterhouse religion because it's all based around the blood of Jesus, right? Does that sound familiar? Things haven't changed so much, have they? But watch this. But those who are called both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? It is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so if you don't focus on Jesus and his finished work, we will not have the wisdom and the power because Christ cru crucified is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Jesus is the true bread from heaven and he alone can satisfy us. 
The devil does not want the church to focus on Jesus. He wants us to focus on ourselves. And can I say that, that the church has done a good job with that in recent years? I understand it's a hard part. <laughs> I understand it's a hard task. I understand it's difficult trying to maneuver the church through these changing times. Believe me, I do. Right? But the church has become consumer-oriented instead of Christ-oriented. Until we want to know what you want. <laughs> and we'll try to build a service around what you want. You don't want a service that lasts an hour and a half. So we'll get you out in 50 minutes if you'll just come. You don't want a service where that conviction comes. So we'll fix it so that won't happen. Because we certainly won't do it and want nobody to get convicted of their sin. It's quiet in the house of the Lord. We've got so consumer, we want, we want to worry, we're concerned about people more than we're concerned about the Jesus. Right? And we want more people. Yes, yes, more people means more souls. And so I understand the numbers. But you get caught up in the numbers game until you fill buildings, but you never fill it with the presence of God. And when you have the place filled with people but not filled with presence of God, then lives are not going to be changed. People are not going to be delivered. Salvation is not going to come. But when you have the presence of God, it may not happen this moment. It may not be in this hour. But I promise you, the road that we're headed down, the churches that have presence are going to be filled with people because they're going to need Jesus. That we're going to need Jesus. I said we are going to need Jesus in these last days. And Jesus is the true bread that has come from heaven. And he's the only one that's going to satisfy. And every single morning these children of Israel had to get up. And all they had to do was go out and co collect fresh manna. You couldn't store it overnight. You stored it overnight it would become stale and full of worms. Every word was released fresh daily. You ever wonder why God didn't just give them a week's supply of manna? Because they wouldn't never open the scripture all week. Got enough. Don't need no more. He doesn't want you living on your past stale revelation of who Jesus is. He don't want you living on yes, sun, last Sundays or from Sunday to Sunday. He wants you to have a fresh revelation every day of who he is. Back to the children of Israel after they murmured and complained in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 6. The Lord sent a fiery serpent, right, among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. 
The serpents were there all the time. Can we agree on that? Okay, two of us. I promise you that serpents didn't just show up. The serpents were there all the time. But it wasn't until they began to complain that the serpents had power over them. Are you hearing me? But when the children of Israel began to complain, it was when they gave power of the enemy over to them. And so we have to be careful about speaking against what God has said to do. We have to be careful about speaking and, 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 and complaining about the manna from heaven. <laughs> complaining about what God has required or said for us to do. We've got to, to say yes, Lord, to your will, to your way, to your wants, to your desires. Let's read verse 8 and 9 there, please. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone that, who is bitten, when he looks on it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was that if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Just like God said. Amen. And so, now why did Jesus make himself to be a serpent when he is not like a serpent at all? He's beautiful. He's matchless. He's flawless. He's altogether lovely. But you see, on the cross, Jesus became a curse with the curses that you and I deserved. He carried our sin. He, he knew no sin, became sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God. Glory to God. I'm telling you what, I'm about to throw this mic and run. If that don't make you, if that don't make you, you need to get in the word. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin. Hallelujah. So that we could be made the righteousness of God. If he would have not become sin, we would have never been able to be made. The, but he did it for us. Amen. And on the cross, Jesus became that serpent. A picture of a cursed creature. <laughs> So that you and I could go free. By his crucified, being crucified on the cross, the guilty creature that brought death into the Garden of Eden became the symbol of grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't it just like God to take something that is ugly and turn it into something beautiful? Amen. This is what happens when God's grace comes into your life. Now, why brass? Why, why brazen serpent? Why didn't Moses put a real snake up there on the pole? This would have spoiled the typology. Jesus didn't come in sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And there is a difference. Jesus knew no sin became sin 
so that we can have become the righteousness of God, but he cannot be depicted as a real serpent because it is depicted as a bronze serpent or figure which is made in the likeness of a serpent. Why bronze? Bronze speaks of judgment throughout the scripture. For example, the altar was a burnt offering. It was, it was uh, an animal sacrifice. It was made of arcade wood, but it was overlaid with bronze. So to see Jesus as a bronze serpent is to see a picture of God's judgment, right? Falling upon Jesus at the cross. It, it utilizes uh, the bronze so that Jesus as a bronze serpent is to see the picture of the judgment of God coming upon him on the cross. God does not want you to look at ourselves, our afflictions, or even our sickness or our disease. He just wants us to look at Jesus. Amen. Jesus on the cross, bearing all of our sin, bearing all of our curses, bearing all of our judgment, Bearing everything in our life, the bronze serpent was raised up on the pole and Moses would have lifted it up to a high place so that everyone can see it. And in the same way, God lifted up Jesus right on the cross so the whole world can see him. And he said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, Right? That's what he's referring to. He's saying if the Son of Man be lifted up, he's lifted up on that cross. He becomes sin so that knew no sin so we could be the righteousness if we would be if he would be lifted up he will draw all men unto himself how does he draw all men because when you see how much he loves you and when you see how much he cared for you you see the price that he paid for you you can't help but to love him because he is a loving and a good father you believe it give him some praise here this morning Whosoever looks at Jesus and sees their sins, their curses, their sicknesses, punishment in his body, they shall be saved, they shall be healed, they shall live. Amen. The Bible does not say to look at Moses or to look to the law. It says to look at Jesus. And not just the Jesus who walked among us, but the Jesus who was crucified, the bronze serpent, on our behalf. Jesus Christ and him crucified, that is our solution. Amen, that's our solution. We have to stop being preoccupied by ourself and our self-efforts and are disqualifying ourselves, and we have to start being occupied with Jesus and the finished work of Calvary and if that isn't enough <laughs> there ain't no help for us I promise you it is enough hallelujah just start looking to Jesus look in his word the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope this encouraged somebody here today.